How are we? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Hey, um, if you're visiting with us, um, my name is Jerron, one of the pastors here. I'm glad you could join us. Hope you've been made to feel at home. Hope you continue to be made to feel at home. Hope someone uh, hits you up. Hope someone shakes your hand, gives you a hug, says hi, things of that sort. Also, welcome everybody joining this live stream. Glad you could join us. Um, really quick, Christchurch, let's have a moment together. Um, over the past few weeks, I think you can look around the room and tell, um, there are more people sick right now at the same time than uh, generally there have, will be. There's just a high amount of uh, sickness right now. So um, if you're watching, just want you to know we're praying for you. Um, hope to see you soon. But I wanted to take a second to pray for our sick members for a second. Could we do that? Um, cool. I'm going to pray. You could say amen or pray in your seat. Uh, pray with me. Father, um, Father, thank you for caring for us and seeing us. Um, you're, you're, you're a God who, who wants life for your people, um, for all people. Um, so ask that those of us who are sick, you heal them. Um, you keep their souls, keep their faith, keep them encouraged. Um, ask that you help us to come around them and care for them. Um, and ask that you continue to keep us, give us wisdom, uh, give us safety. Amen. Um, Throughout the past few weeks in the announcements, you've noticed different opportunities to get involved or participate in something or do something. Um, I want to put those in context. I think the fact that there are things happening, such as Building Together happened this morning, which is a way for people to uh, join and be a part of Christchurch and the youth bonfire this evening and the academies happening and different groups are happening and things of that sort. All of those are, are visible signs that Jesus is pumping life into a community. Um, these are all signs of life. Um, so one, I think this is the thing to celebrate, to be encouraged by. I just wanted to point that out to us. But also I want to invite you all, if you're not, let's jump into this together. Um, if you're, if you're, you're a part of Christ Church and you haven't jumped in anything, I want to invite you, jump into a group, jump onto a team. Let's pray together at our kingdom comes. But also, I know in the past two, three months, there have been a good amount of new faces that have come around. And I want to invite you. We'd love for you to be a part. We'd love for you to join a team. Love for you to join a group. Love for you to get involved somewhere and pray with us, worship with us. So, all that, would love for you to join in. Um, you all ready for Revelation? Yeah. All right, uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 3 together. Um, before I get into this, um, I do this about once a year, and I think we're due for it again. Um, I just want to remind you that you do have a, uh, a dark-skinned preacher. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, <laughs> Bob didn't know some, the rest of you didn't. Bob's one of the smartest guys I know. Um, live stream, I'm, I'm speaking to the people in the room right here for this one. Um, people who came from where I come from and churches I come out of, um, this preaching thing is a group project. Um, I read something that said that, that because all scriptures point to Jesus, you haven't preached a passage until you start testifying to Jesus. I heard someone else say that proclamation of Jesus, witnessing, testifying of Jesus is the business of the whole church, which means I'm not just up here giving you a lecture. No, I'm, I'm going to hopefully ride this text all the way to the witness of Jesus. But remember, it's a group project. So you do that with me. Um, what's that look like? I, I mean, let me hear you. I mean, you can give me a Tim Chambers. Yes, you can give me a Dave Johnson. That's true. You can give me a Lynn Clevenger, Jesus. You can, you can give me a Joe Howard, right? I mean, you give, give me something. 
Um, church I used to grow up in, the old ladies, they just used to wave a hand at you. I, I said that during the last meeting and someone waved a hand at me at one point and I was like, you got it. Um, so all that to say, let, 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 let's make this our whole business. Sound good? It'll be a lot better for you and me if we do this together. Sound good? All right, Revelation chapter 2. Here's what's happening. Um, I love that. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> like, yeah! <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, what happens? Jesus, he reveals himself as walking among the candlesticks, being present in his church, being aware and living life around them. Because of that, what's happening in Revelation 2 and 3 is he's calling them to the table to have a conversation about family business in regards to what he's just seen and what he has observed. So he says, I've been walking among you. I've been living among you. Revelation 1, I'm here. Revelation 2 and 3, let's talk about some family business. Um, let, me, let me just paraphrase what some of these things are. So to the church in Ephesus, he'd say, and I'm paraphrasing these, Jesus says, I'll give a thumbs up to your right thinking but, but, and pointing out false teachers, but I've got to get a thumbs down because you're not living right. He said, you've abandoned the love you lived with at first. So he says, repent. Remember the love, the lifestyle that you had and come back to that. Oh, to the church in Smyrna, he says, I know it's tough, and it's about to get tougher. Some of y'all are about to get thrown in jail for the, for me. But Jesus says, stick with me through it all, even through death, and I'll give you the crown of life. That's good. To, to, to the people of Pergamum, Jesus says, you've stuck it out with me in one of the most demonically influenced places in the empire. Jesus says, you're in the city where the throne of Satan is. <laughs> and then he says, um, but... There are some of you who are spreading toxic ideas, turn back to the truth. Um, to the people with thi- Thyatira, Jesus says, you keep getting better with time. But as time has gone on, you've tolerated the elephant in the room. Uh, this toxic teacher, we, we'll call her Jezebel. And he says, if y'all don't repent, I'm going to make her sick as a form of discipline and everyone who's joined on with her. To, to, to the people in Sardis, Jesus says, y'all have a reputation for being alive. A lot of programs going on doing a lot of giving. You're just out in the city with T-shirts, bumper stickers with my name and your church name on them. But he says, but you've stopped growing spiritually and have declined into a state of spiritual death. He says, wake up. Wake up. In that little bit of life that's left in you, strengthen what remains. To to the church in Laodicea, Jesus says, you're materially rich. Y'all are a pretty group of people. You, You don't worry about the offering, but spiritually you're poor. You're of no benefit to anyone. When he says you're lukewarm, he's like, you're not good for cold water. You're not good for hot water. We can't drink you. We can't cook with you. You're lukewarm. Because you're no benefit to me or people, I'm spitting you out. And then he says to the, to the to what we're going to look at today is he's talking to the church in Philadelphia. Um, what's happened in Philadelphia is, quick story, um, you'll notice throughout the Gospels that Jesus would regularly go to the Jewish synagogues for churches for church on Sundays. And he'd take his boys with him. After Jesus dies and ascends into heaven, his boys kept going to these synagogues. The only difference is that during the worship songs and the prayers and the scripture reading, while the, the local leader of the synagogue is talking about Yahweh, the most high, the Christians are start saying, Jesus. They're saying, praise God, Jesus. We, we pray to you, God, but we're praying through Jesus. After some time, the Jews in the synagogue who continue to practice uh, Judaism, they start to notice that these Christians are whispering and saying Jesus during worship. And they start to say, yo, you can't do that. Like, he's dead. You know that. He, he's a fraud. He's, he's, 
He, he's an insurrectionist. He's, he's poisoning the religion. So then they say, you got to stop. Those Christians show back up the next week and they're still singing to Jesus. So then the leaders of the synagogue excommunicate them, literally bar them from walking in the doors of the synagogue and tell them you can't come back in until you change what you believe about Jesus. And as a matter of fact, until you come back into the synagogue, you're not a part of the real people of God. And that's where we pick up Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Once you're there, stand with me. Let's read this together. Revelation 3, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. I mean, here's a parenthetical statement. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Parenthetical statement ends. Jesus finishes the first word, the first sentence he started. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan, he's talking about the, the, the people who are still practicing Judaism, who say that they're Jews, who say that they're the people of God, but they're not. They lie because the people of God are, are people of faith in Jesus. And then Jesus says, behold, I'll make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you've kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write my name on him, the name of my God. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you. We're listening. So speak to us. Jesus, be here, present yourself to us, manifest yourself to us. We want to receive you. Amen. Um, if you're taking notes, the title that we'll put on this is Family Business. Jesus, he's sitting his people down to talk family business. Um, you ever been thrown off, just absolutely disoriented uh, by voices? Um, if some, if those of you came to Chelsea and I's wedding, um, those of you who didn't, I'm not holding it against you. Um, you'll remember, you'll remember my best man, Gio, tall, dark, handsome, pretty man. Um, been, we've been best friends since we were about 15, uh, so I think 13 years now. Um, our junior year of high school, Gio, um, there is this girl that the moment he saw her, he fell in love with this girl. Um, so he set himself out to have the the real thing with her, you know, that that, that Jay Z, Beyonce, real thing that. Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds, real thing. I, I don't know. Name your favorite couple's favorite couple, that real thing. Um, the Bob and Nellie Chambers real thing. Um, and so he takes her out on a few dates, buys her a few flowers, says a few nice things, sends her a few texts. Finally, they're dating. They're in a relationship. They've got that real thing. He's living his life, having the real thing with this girl, and all is good. Until it wasn't. Um, the rest of us in this friend group made it our personal mission to take up rent-free space in his head with our opinions on his relationship. Dude, you're only side-hugging her? No, if you were her real boyfriend, you'd cuddle that girl. You, you, 
if you want to be her real boyfriend, you got to put her, I'm about to lose some of y'all, you've got to put her in your top three on MySpace. It, it, dude, y'all ain't, even, y'all ain't even real, bro. You're not real. You're not dating her. She's friend zoning you and she's got you. Tri- you're, you're living a lie. And so Gio, this absolutely throws him off his game. He's absolutely disoriented. He finds himself asking, am I really dating her? Are they right? Should I get a MySpace? Maybe I'm not real. So he goes weeks in this limbo until he finally breaks it off with her. I'm a good friend, ain't I? <laughs> Geo, G, G, not Geo, Jesus in this text, he's, <laughs> in this text, Jesus, he's calling to the table, thrown off Christians. Those who are disoriented because they've heard accusations um, coming against what they've been doing. They've had demands placed on them. They've been declared not to be the real people of God. I'm not talking about, I'm, there is a place for repentance. There is a place for actually turning and aligning with Jesus. But the accusations that these thrown off Christians have been hearing and the demands that they've been hearing have been communicating that them simply following Jesus isn't enough. And so they hear these accusations. Real followers of Jesus, real people of God don't worship Jesus. If you want to be a real people of God, you've got to come under the law. As a matter of fact, you're not a part of the people of God. Those are thrown off Christians in Philadelphia, but I think they're thrown off Christians in Joplin too. Thrown off Christians in Joplin hear voices like, if you really want to be a part of the people of God, you need to adopt this practice or this tradition, adopt this thing I'm doing, and then you'll really be in. Until then, you're not actually real. Uh, uh, some Christians in Joplin may have heard, if you really want to be the people of God, you need to leave this this denomination, this church group, this this belief, this this kind of Christianity, and go to this kind. Because when you actually come to my denomination, then you're the real people of God. Oh, some of y'all have heard it about politics. If you're really the people of God, you'll vote this way. Until then, you're not. You've heard it about a vaccine. You've heard it about social issues. You've heard these accusations and demands about all kinds of things. And they're saying you aren't actually the real people of God. You don't have a real relationship with God until you do this. And then we find ourselves thrown off, disoriented. Have I been living a lie? Jesus, I think I got God. Are you have I have I just been taught wrong? That voice don't just come from out there. Those voices could be in here. I'm talking about your emotions, your pride, your insecurity, your mama's voice from the past, the accuser of the brethren, if you will, could all whisper into your mind, you need to do more to be the real people of God. Jesus says to all those thrown off Christians, come to the table. I want to have a chat with you. And I think we will find comfort. We'll find stability. We'll find assurance. We'll find clarity. And the things we hear at this family talk, but we'll also find those things in who we hear it from. So we'll find it in the things we hear, but we'll also find it in who we hear it from. So first thing we got to do is we let's let's look for it in who we hear. What do we hear? Well, well, at this table where we're talking family business, we hear Jesus talk about our past, our yesterday, our present, our today, and the future tomorrow. He talks about our t- timeline of our lives. So, so, so maybe we'll find some comfort and clarity in our, in our, in our yesterday. Jesus says, yesterday I already did what needed to be done. 
you see what he says in verse 8. He says, behold, I have opened a door that no one can shut. Now, 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 I told you last week that to understand Revelation, you've got to keep one finger in the book of Revelation, the other finger in the Old Testament. This is one of the few uh, parts of Revelation where you actually got to look into the New Testament. The New Testament talks about doors a lot. And there are two ways that the New Testament talks about doors. The first way the New Testament talks about doors is opportunity. Uh, Paul says that God has opened up a mega door for me to, to partner with Jesus in his mission. And when Jesus opens a door of opportunity to partner with him, nobody can shut it. That's why some of us shouldn't trip out too much if people aren't recognizing us, if people aren't promoting us, because Jesus will open up doors for us to participate in what he's doing, and no one can shut that door. Christ Church, listen to me. It seems as if G- G- Jesus, not Geo, Jesus has opened up a door for us to partner with him in being good news to families that are immigrating and refugees to America right now. Let's not miss that door. No, let's walk through it. But that's not the kind of door Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus, the other kind of door that, that the New Testament talks about is in, found in Acts, where it says God has opened up a door of faith for the Gentiles. That, that means that Jesus has made faith the way that we can enter into relationship with God. This is why Ephesians 2 says you've been saved by grace. Here's the door through, through, through faith. Jesus already opened up the door of faith to be in a relationship with God. I've told y'all about um, going to London with my friend, with our friend Brian Mowry and Dylan Neely. Um, there was one of those, on one of those flights we took, we were walking through the um, airport. We drop our suitcases off, we get our tickets, and we start walking towards TSA. I start mentally preparing myself for how um, my human dignity was going to be taken away by those TSA workers and how they shout at you at 5 a.m., so, so I'm prepping myself and I'm getting ready to take off my shoes and give them my wallet, get the lint out of my backpack. To, nothing makes the TSA workers mad. I, I'm, I'm trying to work myself, do all the work that's needed to get through TSA. So I start taking my shoes off. And Brian says, oh, you don't need to do that. And I was like, no, Brian, I don't know if you know how this works, but I gotta, we got to do this stuff to get through it. He's like, no, you don't got to do it. I pre-checked you. So I was like, what is this? I've never heard this word pre-check. And Brian says, oh, no, I did everything last night that was needed for you to get in right now. And he was like, just follow me. And friends, I'm here to report to the glory of God that we just walked right on through pre-check. Didn't have to do nothing. But Brian did something yesterday that that made it uh, possible for us to walk in in that moment. When Jesus says, behold, I'm opening a door for you, he says, I've pre-checked you already. He says, I did something then that allows you to freely enter into life with God right now. What did he do, friends? They uh, hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head. Then he died. But that's not where the story ends. Three days later, our Jesus rose again. And because of that, Paul says, all of you who were far off from God have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. All you got to do is have faith and you can walk through. Listen to me. Listen to me, Christians. Jesus already did it. People are telling you to do more to have a real relationship with God. Jesus already did it. And I'm not discounting effort. This absolutely redefines Christian effort. We no longer work for, but we darn sure do work from. We're not working hard 
for position. We're not working hard for salvation. We're not working hard for acceptance. No, we're working hard from those things. Listen, some of us haven't, we're not yet followers of Jesus. We don't, we're not yet living life with God. And here's what I've heard. Here's what I've heard. I'm ready, but I just got to get my stuff together. I'm ready to get my stuff together. Listen, it's easier than that. Jesus already got it together for you. And he's saying, all you got to do is believe and walk into life with God. Oh, to the thrown off curses, if you didn't find comfort in that, maybe you can find comfort in what Jesus says about your today. Today, Jesus says, I know what it's like. You see what he says in verse uh, eight? He says, I know your works. And then he finishes it. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not, have not denied my name. Jesus says, I know your works. I know your lifestyle. I, kn- I know how you live and how you have but little power. Uh, most commentators believe, uh, think that this church in Philadelphia, it, was, it wasn't a mega church. It was probably a small church. They weren't like seeing mass people come by the masses. They were probably hit and missing evangelism. I mean, these aren't people who like got rid of all temptation on day one. Um, um, went over to some third world country and built a sustainable city in the name of Jesus by day two, ended up on Instagram by day three and had articles written for him by day four, or were very influential in Philadelphia. No, this was a small church. Hit and miss in evangelism. <laughs> in the daily fight of just trying not to succumb to temptation. Being accused on a daily. Didn't have very many friends in the city. And Jesus says, even in your weakness, you, you've kept my word. I know you've been drowned out by accusations, but you've stuck it out with me. I know you're hit and miss with sharing me, but you've stuck it out with me. I know you don't have the best reputation in the city, but you've stuck it out with me. He says, you've pursued faithfulness and weakness. And Jesus says, I know that life. So on Monday, I'm studying this passage. And I ask myself, self How does Jesus know the life of faithfulness and weakness? And I said to myself, self, give me a few seconds to try to research that. And I think myself was helped by God in finding the answer for myself. Here's the answer that I gave myself. I don't think Jesus knows the life of faithfulness and weakness just from perception. I think he knows the life of faithfulness through weakness from experience. You see what I'm saying? I don't think he just observed it. I think he knows it because he lived it. I, I, I know a man here in town who made it his mission to serve the poor in our city. And he said one day he was praying and he felt God tell him that, hey, you need to go out into the streets and adopt that lifestyle. Then you'll really know what it's like. So he said a little bit later, he, he, he left home for a few weeks and lived in the streets. And he said, that's when I really came to understand what it meant to live in these streets as a poor person in our city. Second Corinthians 8 says, he who was rich, Jesus became poor for your sake. Jesus, he added on the, the poor state that is humanity. Hebrews says that we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to sympathize or empathize. No, no. He knows the human life. He took it on. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to, to have people walk away from him. He knows what it is to be relatively unknown in terms of the broad empire and society. He knows what it is to have people accuse him. He knows what it is to be tired. And Hebrews says, but he did not sin. He remained faithful through all of that weakness. You know what that tells me? When Jesus sees you in your weakness, he's not scolding you. He's not shaming you. 
He's not, I've heard this, this is a therapy term. He's not shooting you. He says, I know. And here's the good news. Hebrews 4 says, because we have this kind of high priest, let's approach the throne of grace for help in the time of need. Because he knows that life, he can help us through that life. Listen, that's good news to me because I don't want help from nobody who hasn't gone through it. Don't tell me you can help me get in shape if you're not in shape. Don't tell me you can help me get my diet right if you ain't living right. No, no, but Jesus, he went through it and he can help you from that experience. Oh, if that didn't encourage you, maybe you'll find encouragement in what, what Jesus says about our tomorrow. Jesus says, the first thing he says, he says, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll keep you. He says, tomorrow I'll keep you. Uh, look at what he says. He says, he says, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Um, Jesus, he's, he's, he's referring back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. I believe it's one of the last thing Daniel says. Um, God gives Daniel a prophecy about this trial that's going to come on the earth that no nation has ever seen. And he says, but the people of God will be preserved through it. And then Jesus, he picks this thing up and he references that same trial, that same tribulation, that same hard time in Mark and in Matthew, and I believe in Luke, maybe. So Jesus, he's telling these people in Philadelphia, it's coming. And he says, but I'll keep you in it. Here's the thing. Jesus promises to keep his people in the trial here. In John 14 or 16, he all but promises his people that they'll have trouble. How are you going to promise that you'll keep me and then promise that I'm going to go through it? Notice the grammar. Jesus didn't say, I'll keep you out of it. He says, I'll keep you in it. I heard of these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy. They, um, they, they set out to keep, to, 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 to maintain their faithfulness to God. And because of that, they found themselves in a pit of fire, uh, ordered by the king. So the king throws this in the, in that fire pit. And then a few seconds later, the king says, them boys just walking around. And then he says, y'all didn't I put three people in there? And they're like, yes, you did, your, 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 your majesty. And he said, I count one, two, three, four, and that fourth man in the fire looks like a son of God. Yeah. So he says, Shad, Meshach, and Billy, come on out. Shadrach, Meshach, and a Billy goat came out, and they weren't sweating. They weren't panting. They weren't burnt. Their clothes weren't burnt. Daniel says, they ain't even smell like smoke. They went through the fire, were unaffected by the fire, because there was another in the fire. Jesus, Jesus says, you're going to go through the fire, but your faith won't be affected by that fire because there's going to be another in the fire. If you don't believe me, there are about five people in this room who can testify and say, I've been through some fires. I, I, I've gone through loss, but, but my faith was unaffected through that loss because there was another in the fire. I went through disappointment, but my hope in God was unaffected because there was another in the fire. I've been, I've gone through abandonment, but I still trusted God to keep me because there was another in the fire. I've been unaffected by the fire because there was another in there with me. I changed my mind. You don't go unaffected by the fire. Your faith is affected by the fire. It's made stronger. You go through that fire and Jesus will give you more faith. You go through that fire and Jesus will give you more hope. You go through that fire and Jesus will give you more love. 
love. Jesus says, I'll keep you. Friends, but your future gets better than that because Jesus also says, I'll prove you. You Look at what he says. He says, he says, he says, behold, I will make them, those from the synagogue, your accusers, those who, who, who claim you're not the people of God, come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. He says, I'll prove you. Me and my grandmother, y'all ever uh, watch that show Deal or No Deal? Me and my grandmother, we used to watch Deal or No Deal all the time. Um, if you haven't watched it, the premise is that there are um, 26 um, silver cases up on the front of the stage. And each of them has an unknown amount of money in it, ranging from $1 to a $1 million. And the person playing, the goal of the game is they identif- they're trying to identify the case with a $1 million in it. So me and my grandmother, we watch this all the time. We even had it on DVD. Um, and we're TV talkers. Um, we're, we're big TV talkers. So I remember we were watching one episode, and this man picked this, uh, this case, and immediately both of us were like, that's the dumbest choice you could have made. How could you not see? Everyone knows that that million dollars ain't in there because we came up with a system for figuring it out. We were like, that's the dumbest thing. That's so wrong. So through this whole episode, that's wrong. That's not right. That's wrong. And then Howie, the host, opens up that case. And you know what's in that case that man picked? A million dollars. And so we just had to sit back and say, I guess that money was in there after all, huh? When, what Jesus is saying when he says, I'll make them bow down before you, is he's saying that your, your accusers, there will be a day where I'll reveal that God has been in you among my people at the whole time, this whole time. And your accusers will say, I guess God was in there after all. This is a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 45, where Jesus, where God says, I'll, I'll fill my people with glory and the nations will say, surely God is among you. This is a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 60, where God says the same thing. And he says, surely you're the city of God, the dwelling place of God. Jesus says, there's a day where I will reveal to all of your accusers that God has been here the whole time. Listen, Christian, when you're accused of not having a real relationship with God, we do not play the short game of fighting for ourselves and gaining short-term satisfaction out of that. We play the long game and let Jesus prove us. It's not your job to prove you. You don't have to prove you. Jesus says, no, there's a day where I'll prove you. I'll show that I've been here with you the whole time. Listen, 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 though. Look close. Don't go too far away yet. Look at what Jesus says we will be recognized for. God's presence being among us. Listen, you're spending a whole lot of time trying to be recognized today for what you can do, for what you have, for what you are, for all of this stuff about yourself. None of that will matter tomorrow. The only thing that'll matter is that God's people will be recognized for the presence of God among us. Listen, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach my heart out every week. I do not want this church to be known for my preaching. We ought to be known for God being here. I hope that we outdo Chick-fil-A in hospitality, but I do not want us to be known for being nice people. I want us to be known primarily for God being here. I hope that we fill this city with good works, but I do not want to be known for being a humanitarian organization. I want to be known for being the house of God, because that's the only thing that's going to matter. He says, God's here. Oh, friends, but your future gets brighter than that. Because then Jesus says, I'll make you a fixture. Look at what he says in verse uh, 12, I believe. The one who conquers, the one who sticks with me, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven um, and my own name. 
Um, Second Chronicles chapter three, Second Kings chapter seventeen. Uh, they record Solomon's great building project. He says, "I'm going to build the house for God, the temple where God dwells." And at the end of that, he hires this dude named um, Hiram, Hiram, H-I-R-A-M. And he says, Hiram, I want you to make these bronze pillars. And it says, he, um, this is fun. There are some scholars who think the he is ambiguous. We don't know if it was Solomon or Hiram. This is going to get fun in a second. Um, it says, he put one pillar on the north side of the temple and named it Boaz, which means God establishes. And he put another pillar on the south side of the temple and named it Jachin, which we don't know what it means. Those pillars placed by this ambiguous hymn were fixtures in the presence of God. You know what a fixture is? It's, it's, it's stuck. It's, it's stuck in the structure. As long as the structure there, it's there. You know who that, who I think that ambiguous he is? I think that ambiguous he is Jesus. But today, it, it, meaning, meaning Solomon putting pillars in the temple was prophetic, was predicting Jesus placing us in the temple. Jesus says, I'll make you a fixture in the presence of God. And then he says, I'll put a name on you. I'll label you the same way Solomon labeled you. He said, I'll put the name of my God on you, which means God owns you. I'll put the name of the new Jerusalem on you, which means you house God. I'll put my name on you, which means you're united to me. Jesus is giving us forever in the presence of his father. Listen, every now and then we've got to have a little eye exam to make sure we're seeing clearly. We've got the right perspective on life because when you see and when you, you, you know and understand that you have a forever in the presence of God, today looks a whole lot different. Yeah. When you know that tomorrow is in God's presence, whatever you're going through today is not that bad. <laughs> you can stand up with Paul and you can say, I consider the present sufferings don't hold a candle to the glory that will be revealed to yeah. us. I know I'm hurting today, but that doesn't compare to the comfort of God's presence. I know I've lost today, but that don't compare to the gain of God's presence. I know it's messy today, but that don't compare to the perfection of God's presence. You have forever in his house. That's your future. Oh, I hope you found it in what Jesus said about your today, your tomorrow, and your yesterday. Maybe you found it in him saying, I already did it. Or maybe you found it in saying, I know and I'll help you through it. Hopefully you found it in that bright future he promised to you. But if you didn't find it in what you heard, maybe you'll find it in who you heard it from. Uh, I'm going to say a statement, and this ain't going to mean much to you until about five minutes from now. Um, You're hearing words from the true and greater Eliakim. That ain't hit. No amens on that one. So, so, um, some of you Old Testament scholars, you heard that in your mind uh, immediately time traveled back to Isaiah chapter 22. Um, in Isaiah 22, God, he has this conversation with this man named Eliakim and this man named Shebna. Um, he calls Shebna to the table first. This dude Shebna, he was the, the manager of King Hezekiah's household. Shebna, he, he made all the decisions in the king's house. What Shebna said went. What Shebna did not say did not happen. Shebna was the decision maker in the king's house. And because of that, he had influence in the whole city. What did Shebna do with all that power? This man used all that power to buy himself the best chariots made by Lamborghini, Ferrari, and, and Ford, if you will. 
This man used all that power to use the people of uh, Judah to build him a monument so that after he died, we could all remember his name and his fame. So God, through the mouth of Isaiah, calls Shebna to his office and sits down and he indicts Shebna on five counts of being a self-serving leader. So, so God says, because of that, you're fired. But don't walk out yet, because I'm going to tell you about who I picked to replace you. And so God says, before you go, I just want you to know, you know that, that dude, Eliakim, that you know? He's the one who I'm going to replace you with. I'm going to put on him your decision-making authority. He says, I know you served yourself, but Eliakim will serve me. He says, I know you cared about yourself, but Eliakim will, will, will be a father to the people of this nation. He says, I will establish Eliakim like a tent peg. That means I'll make him permanent. I'll promote him and he'll bring honor to his father's house. And then God says this. He says, I will give Eliakim the key of David and he will open and no one will shut and he will shut and no one will open, which means Eliakim's decisions will be irrevocable regarding the king's house. Right after that, uh, Shebna, he went back to his office, packed up his boxes and went on and found a new job. Eliakim moved on in and fulfilled that job. Eliakim ended up dying a couple hundred years later. Um, this man, Jesus, comes on the scene. He, he, he dies. He raises again. He ascends. 96 AD, he writes a letter to his people and he says, I have the key of David. I open and no one shuts. And I shut and no one can open. What Jesus is saying is, whatever Eliakim thought he was, I am the true version. Whatever Eliakim thought he was, I am the better version. Eliakim was chosen to be manager over Hezekiah's house. Jesus is chosen to be manager of God's house. Eliakim was a servant of God. Of God. Jesus served God in a greater way by giving his life to fulfill God's purposes. Eliakim cared for the people of God. Jesus cared in a greater way by giving himself and dying for us. Eliakim was promoted by God giving him a new job. Jesus was promoted by God raising him up into a position eternally. And listen to me, all that Jesus says regarding the people of God is final. Oh, I'm, I'm done, but, but let me tell you about my uh, basketball coaching days at College Heights before I sit down. Um, some of you know I coached basketball at College Heights from uh, 2016 to 2018. Um, my first year, I had, I think, 16 boys. I had 13 seventh graders, three eighth graders. Um, so one game, we went over to Diamond to play 15 grown men who called themselves eighth graders. Um, and, and when I coached, I, I, mean, I, I, I knew what I knew. I knew I was right. I knew what would happen. I was very opinionated. So I'm watching my boys play the best game of their life. They took these grown men down to the, like the last 10 seconds. We're down by one. And so Diamond's coming down the court, and my boys are on defense, and I'm not sta- standing up no more. I sit back because I know my boys are about to get this stop and go score and win the game. And sure enough, this grown man from Diamond throws up this bad shot. One of my boys gets the rebound, and he turns, and I immediately jump up, and I yell, go score. Mid, uh, mid-sentence, I hear this whistle behind me. I turn around. And there is a beloved child of God in a striped white and black shirt <laughs> who called a foul. So in the most Christ-like way, I, 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 I prance over to him and I'm debating on whether I should address him Christ-like or not. Um, I end up opting on splitting in the middle and only lose half, lost half of my religion. Um, so I get to him and I berate that man. That's the dumbest thing you could have done. Then I start questioning his character. 
I was like, I, it's like, look, I know you want to go home early. You don't want this game to go into overtime. Just admit it. Then, then finally, I'm like, dude, that wasn't a foul. Oh, I preached that you thought you think you've heard me preach good sermons. You haven't heard good preaching until you heard what I said to that man. And you know what changed? Nothing. And so then we're doing the little line after the game where, you know, you got the boys, good game, good game. So I get to them grown men and I said, you ain't a real winner. You ain't win that game. And you know what changed? Nothing. Then I went to the dorms and I told all my homeboys in the dorms, yo, this was, that was the most incompetent person I've ever seen make that call. And you know what changed? Nothing. So I went to bed that night. I'm in bed mad. I was like, Who does he think he is? And then it dawned on me. He's the man with the whistle. If the man with the whistle called it a foul, it's forever going to be a foul, regardless of what I say. All them words you heard today, they weren't from the man with the whistle on the basketball court, but they're from the man with the keys in the house of God. And if he calls it, it forever is, regardless of what they say. If the man with the keys said you're a child of God, you're forever a child, regardless of what they say. If the man with the keys said you're a member of the household, you're a member of the household, regardless of what they say. If the man with the keys said you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, God's own possession, that's who you are forever, regardless of what they say. I don't care what your feelings, nobody on Facebook or no demon in hell says, if the man with the keys called you good with God, then you're good with God. Hey, it worked. Let's do more of that. The man with the keys, he said, I got you. Just hold on to what you have. What do we have? Jesus, he calls himself the true one. That means he's God's agent. He's the Messiah. He's the one who does all good things for God. And he calls himself the faithful witness. That means he's the revelation of God, how we know God. He says, hold on to me. Don't let anyone knock you off my game, your game. What's that mean? That means we hold on to Jesus as he's revealed in Jesus and the scripture. Don't let anyone add to him. Don't let anyone take away from him. We hold on to Jesus as he's revealed in scripture. And some of you, if you haven't believed in Jesus, I'm saying he's presenting himself to you. He's saying, I'll freely give you life with God. You don't have to get it together. I've got it together. He's saying, I've I've presented myself to you. So he's just saying, receive me. Believe in him. I'd love to talk with you after this. I'd love to pray with you after this. Believe in him. So, So here's Jesus. He gave all this encouragement to these thrown off Christians. And what he said and who he is. And so the question that we've got to ask, the thing we've got to ask God to help us with, is will we hold on to him? Father, help us to hold on to Jesus. Thank you for these good things that he's done. Thank you for all that he is for us. Thank you for the good purposes that he's fulfilling for us and for you. Give us your power to hold on. Give us your power to persevere and endure. Jesus, we want to embrace you as our Lord in our life. So help us. Amen.